Oh, thank you, Graham. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Matt. I'm uh, a member here at the Oak Church. Uh, just going to check, Gaz, is that all right? Or, yeah. Oh, grand. Um, if maybe I can, I can, I can shout. I've got a, I've got a, I've not really got an indoor voice, so we, we can, we can make it work either way. Um, so as Graham's been saying, as we are moving through Lent, we as a church are just starting a short series on lament, which is going to take us up to Easter. And in a moment, we're going to be opening scripture to one of the ancient songs of lament God's people have used for over 2,000 years. Should I change to the hand mic, do we think? Oh, cool. Um, one of the ancient songs of lament God's people have used for over 2,000 years, Psalm 86. And lament, it's something we don't talk about a whole lot, um, not just as a church, but actually as a culture, um, as a nation in the UK. Um, lament is quite an alien thing to us. It's, it's, it's alien to me. This is, um, I'm really speaking to you as a, a student rather than someone who actually um, is fully putting this into practice myself. Um, but it's something scripture talks about and demonstrates a lot. A bit more than a third of all psalms are psalms of lament. It's all through the prophets. The book of Job is, is basically one long lament. And it's something Jesus did as well. And I think God gives it to his people as a gift. Because lament is part of the answer to a really important question we have when we suffer, when life goes wrong, which is, what do we do? And often, that's actually the most important question to ask. We, t we talk a lot about why, why do we suffer, but in my experience, the best answer to that is usually, I don't know. I have no idea. But what sometimes actually is harder to answer in practice is, what do we do now? How do we live day by day? And this may seem really weird to talk about on Mother's Day. It might seem a bit of a downer thing to talk about. But my prayer is that you will come away from this series with hope. Because lament is not just about us and our struggles, but it's also about the God who understands us and who is with us. And the truth is, our lives are precious things. And so on a Sunday, I don't want to waste your time with platitudes or pleasant stories because... God doesn't do that to us. He thinks too much of us for that. Each of us comes in here in this place with extraordinary moments of beauty and joy in our experiences that really can't be placed in a simple category. And I need a God who can speak to that. And most of us also come in here with deep hurts and sadnesses. Or if we don't right now, one day we probably will because life is the way it is. And I need a God who can speak to that too. And I suspect both those things are particularly felt on a day like today, on Mother's Day. For, for some people here, this is a chance to reflect on some of the most significant and beautiful moments of your life. And for some people, this is a really hard day. And I suspect for many people, it's both those things at the same time. In Lament, we encounter a God who gives us language for all that stuff the highs and for the lows of life. In fact, we encounter a God who himself uses that language in Christ. In Lament, we don't come to a God who is far off and uncaring. We come to a God who is right there with us. We come to a God with dirt under his fingernails. 
And lament helps us avoid two different temptations we encounter when we suffer. So the first temptation is to just push the feelings right down. We're not allowed to feel sad or angry. So we say, oh, it doesn't matter. I didn't want that anyway. God obviously has something better for me. And the second temptation is the other side of things. It's to despair, to give up, to turn inwards on ourselves, to shut out God, to shut out the world. By the way, as an aside, I didn't really know where to place it, but I think it's quite important to say, uh, I believe Christ came to liberate us from despair. I believe he is the great healer. I believe he heals us through miracles, but also through the ordinary working of our bodies and through the help of friends and family and professionals as well. And so if this morning you are caught up in and being wounded, your life is being really affected by deep despair or depression or whatever label we use. Actually, I don't think the label really matters. Um, I really believe, and partly from personal experience, that Christ wants to bring you help and comfort. And I believe it's a mark of faith, not of weakness, to respond to Christ by saying to someone you trust, when you're ready, I need some help. But going back to these two temptations, both suppressing our feelings and giving in to despair, they're actually really understandable responses to suffering. And I've seen those responses, and I still see them in my own life. Um, In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 13, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. If your longings are not fulfilled and your hope keeps being frustrated, it just feels less painful not to hope at all. But God invites us to something else. He invites us to come to him with faith, but also with honesty, and he offers us hope. In chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, Jacob, who is a a schemer and he's a cheat and a liar, he's about to meet his brother Esau for the first time in years. And the last time Jacob was with Esau, Esau was wanting to kill him. Um, And Jacob's scared. He's trying to buy off his brother with gifts of flocks and herds before they meet. But then in the middle of all his preparations, he has this really bizarre encounter with this mysterious man who never gives his name. They meet in the middle of the night and they fight. And as dawn is coming, the man reaches out and he touches Jacob's hip. And something happens. Jacob's hip is wrenched, the Bible says. It's injured. Jacob can no longer walk without a limp. And this stranger who's finally humbled the arrogant and lying Jacob, says, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so the mysterious figure gives Jacob a new name. He calls him Israel, which means he wrestles with God. And Jacob is changed forever after this encounter. For one thing, He will always walk with a limp. And Israel is the name of God's people forever after this moment. God invites you to wrestle with him, to argue with him, to say to him, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That is what lament is. So let's read together Psalm 86. And I I invite you, as we're reading here, just look for where is the faith here, but also where is the honesty here? Where is the hope? I'm saying that, but faith and honesty, they're not opposed, as I hope we'll see. They are joined together. Psalm 86, a prayer of David. 
Hear me, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I'm in distress, I call to you because you answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength on behalf of your servant. Save me, because I serve you just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This psalm starts with honesty, pouring out David's situation to God and saying, this is not right. And you know, it should be the response of faith to look at the evil and the suffering in the world and in our lives and say, this is not right. In my previous job, a small part of the team's work was to help secure safe housing for survivors of human trafficking. And part of that involved interviewing people to record what had happened to them. And sometimes what we found is that people had grown so used to the way they were treated, um, they'd come to think of it as normal. And they would say, well, this is, this is fine. I don't see what the problem is. And so part of our job was to explain, well, well, no, you're a human being. You have a right to be paid for your work. You have a right not to be imprisoned. You have a right not to be treated in this awful way. What happened to you was wrong. And if there's no God, if you and I and those people I met are just meaningless collections of atoms sort of bumping into each other, then, well, suffering and cruelty, it's just something that happens. I mean, it's something we may not like, it's something we may want to change, uh, but it's, it's just something that happens. But if we love God and love his world and love the people he's made, we should feel anger and grief at evil and suffering. Because Scripture says God certainly does. And in Scripture, we see laments over all manner of things. We see what we call corporate laments, God's people gathering together and crying out to him over a certain situation of a poverty or injustice or violence or war or oppression to say, this is wrong. Come, Lord, and change this. And this is an honest question. I, do we do this at the Oak? Do you ever do that in your community groups or your life groups? I, do we do that in this space on a Sunday? And we also see individuals like David here lamenting, sometimes over illness, over loss, sometimes over their own sin. 
And that's interesting, isn't it? It's not so bad crying out to God about the evil in someone else's heart, but what about the evil in my heart? But Psalm 86 is a little different. It's a really simple, straightforward appeal. David here is crying out to be saved from his enemies. He says, hear me, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. And then towards the end, he explains what the problem is. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. Now, as a kid, I found these kind of psalms really hard to engage with, like talk about enemies wanting to kill me and so on, because I was always like, okay, fair enough. This was a problem for King David. He was an Iron Age king. Yeah, he had people trying to kill him, but I'm 10. I don't have any enemies. The number of Moabites trying to kill me is literally zero. I've never started a war against Edom. My son is not going to launch a palace coup against me, forcing me to flee to the Pennines with my servants and my concubines and wives and various hangers-on. <laughs> to be clear, by the way, if you don't know me, I don't actually have any concubines. I definitely only have one wife. Um, but you hear me, it's really hard to put ourselves in this psalm. But actually, for some of us here, maybe we have had an experience of someone wanting harm for us. And maybe that's reputational harm. Maybe that's financial harm. Maybe it's bullying in our school, our work, or our family. Maybe for some of us, there's been the very real experience of physical or emotional harm from others, violence or abuse. And the serious question is, well, what do we do about that? Because on the one hand, our hearts cry out for justice, for action, even actually for revenge. And that heart cry, it's a response to something real. It's not wrong. We follow a God of justice. We want justice. It's built into our bones. Jesus' mother, Mary, while she's still pregnant, she praises God. And part of her praises, she says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is a woman who lives in poverty in a nation occupied by the Roman Empire. Her heart longing, her vision of God's goodness is a God of justice who changes things. That is good. But we also follow a God who in the face of injustice was willing to submit to death, even death on a cross, who calls us to turn the other cheek, who tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So how do we put these things together? How do we handle anger and pursue justice and still love our enemies? And I think lament is part of the answer to this. When we lament, we don't say, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter. Because it's not okay, and it does matter. Instead, we take all our anger and our rage and our fear and we name it and we entrust it to God, even the bits that maybe even frighten ourselves. Psalm 86 is actually pretty easy going in this way, but some Psalms, the writer is just pouring out everything to God. I mean, one example, this certainly isn't the, the most extreme example of this, but Psalm 69, it says, may the table before them, this is the psalmist's enemies, may the table before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. This is verse 22 and 23. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. We can share even the darkest, ugliest parts of our hearts to God 
because we know those words are safe with him. They're not going to harm anyone there. This is really important. Like, just practically, it is really important for us to find healthy, safe ways to manage our anger, to take our anger out of us in ways that don't hurt people. And lament is a way to do that. But it's not just about psychological health. It's not just a psychological tool. Lament isn't quiet. It's not just grumbling to itself. It's not inward-looking. It's a cry of protest that expects and even demands change. What does David say to God? He says, hear me, Lord, and answer me. Guard my life. Have mercy on me. Bring me joy. Save me. I will not let go of you unless you bless me, says the wounded Jacob. And that is what David does in this lament. God isn't like us. You don't have to suck up to him. You don't have to be polite. You can be raw and honest and fierce and bold in your prayers. God wants you to do this. He has given you a book that is full of laments that he invites you. In fact, he instructs you to use as a model for your own anger and dismay. Because this matters to him too. He is the God who takes the side of those who face injustice and who are wronged. Paul says in his letters to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 19, he says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. He does not snub or ignore our hurt, our anger, or our demands for change. And what this means is when you've been honest and entrusted your lament to God, you are free to act and pursue justice without carrying that burden of rage and pain and hurt alone. You no longer have to resort to the unkindness you have experienced yourself in order to get even. You can, even as you take the actions you need to keep yourself safe or obtain justice, you can do that in a way that shows love to those who have hurt you or others. And you can even pray for good for them. When we have enemies, lament releases us from either being sort of like a doormat, just a passive recipient of evil, and it also releases us from being a perpetrator of evil in response to it. Instead, it frees us to work alongside the Lord to be a channel of God's kingdom, justice, and peace. Because lament is also about faith, and it's about hope. Why does David feel he can come to God with his complaint and call on him to do something. It's because he knows what God is like. You, Lord, David says, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. As we went through that psalm, I hope you can see this is a psalm of worship. Lament, even the most painful, angry laments, and they get, they get pretty rough. Like if you read Psalm 88, just a couple of psalms on, that is a rough psalm. But lament is worship because why are we bothering bringing our complaints and our frustration and our anger to God? Because when we do that, what we're saying is, you are the only one who can do something about this. That's what we're declaring. And David, he's just really explicit about this here. He says, among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. 
all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. But how does David know this, though? How does he know God is worth sharing this stuff with? How do you know? How do I know? How do we know there is any point appealing to him? Well, I think there's, there's two main ways. Some of this David knows from Scripture. He says, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, if, if you've read your Bible uh, a few times or you've read your Bible uh, uh, over the years, those words may seem really familiar, and that's because they are, because they crop up over and over again in the Old Testament. David is just repeating Scripture back to God here. And he's basically saying to God, this is what you say you're like. I'm not asking you to do something that's out of character for you. I'm asking you to be the person you say you are. And you can do this. These words are God communicating with us about what he's like. And so we can say this back to him. That's what the Psalms are there for, actually. They are there so we can say God's words back to him. And we can say, this is what you say you're like. Well, I want to see it in my life. But David has also lived through this exact situation time and again. Like I say, the guy, he just had a lot of people trying to kill him. And so when he says, I call to you because you answer me, that's not making stuff up. This is real practical stuff. He has had this happen before. And God has been faithful to his word. God has delivered him. Our church has a, a men's WhatsApp group. Uh, if, you're, if you're a guy in the church and you want to be part of that, it's great. It's, it's an open WhatsApp group. Um, but guys, I, I love you all. It's an odd group um, because I don't know if this is like Fight Club, like the first rule of men's WhatsApp group is you don't share about men's WhatsApp group. But if, if you're not in on it, I will let you in on something. There's basically two things that happen in that WhatsApp group. So the first thing, there are profound spiritual conversations about how to live as men of God. And the second thing, there are people asking if anyone knows a good roofer. And there is nothing else. Like, nothing else. Like, if it's not about the Lord, and if it's not about DIY and good tradesmen, chances are you are not going to find it there. But the thing is, you put a shout out for a good roofer or a mechanic or electrician or whatever, and someone says, here, I say someone, it's usually Craig. Uh, someone says, here, try this person. But they can say that because they know them. And they know that they will do what they say they will. And so they trust them to do a good job. Now, God, he's not our mechanic or our electrician, to be clear. He's our Lord and Savior. But if someone says to David, I'm in despair because of my enemies, I need help, David can say, I know someone who I trust. He's never let me down yet. And the truth is, I look back on my life, and I see huge prayers that have been answered. And I see so much laughter and joy and material and spiritual blessings. The Lord has been so good to me and my family. I can trust him. That's why I really love it when people come and share from the front as well about the ways that God has been working in their lives. Thank you so much, people who shared this morning, because actually it's a way of reminding ourselves, yeah, God is trustworthy. God keeps his promises. Now, that doesn't take away the pain of the bad stuff or the fears and worries I might be going through right now. Lament, it isn't neat and tidy. We're so used to narratives with like a neat beginning, middle, and end. 
And we, we kind of try and impose that on our lives as well, that structure, even on Scripture. So if I were writing a psalm of lament, I'd go like the beginning, we've got a problem, the Ammonites are trying to kill me, etc., etc. Middle, I cry out to God, give him my complaint. The end, God saved the day, praise him, everything's wrapped up, neat and tidy. And what's hard about the psalms is they don't do that. They're all jumbled up. It's kind of like that in our lives as well, actually. Our emotions, our feelings, our hearts, they're all jumbled up. The psalm starts with David crying out, but it ends that way too. Give me a sign of your goodness, he says, that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. There's God's kingdom here now. You have helped me. You have comforted me. And yet, it's still not here in its fullness. David's saying, just give me a sign of your goodness. Give me something, God. Our hope doesn't stop us from being honest. Nor does our honesty keep us from the hope of Christ. And I want to end on that because I see God's goodness written all over the story of my life and I hope you can see it written over yours, those moments of piercing beauty, those moments of happiness and peace. But yeah, I see the unanswered prayers too. I, I see those experiences. There's some things in life that kind of crosses a line in your life and you can't ever really get back over the line. You'll always be different. You'll always walk with a limp. Um, but just like we see those unanswered prayers in Scripture as well, just like we see those hurts that don't go away, this is, this is stuff that God, God's not surprised by, not shocked by, but we know we can still trust him even with those things. And that is because our faith can be rooted in more than just the situation in front of me. Our faith is rooted ultimately in what God has done in Christ. In the middle of his psalm, David says this, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. I have been deeply fortunate to have never really had someone set themselves up as my enemy. Um, I've not really had anyone wanting to cause major harm to me. But the reality is I, I do actually have an enemy. You have an enemy. Peter says in his first letter in chapter 5, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. He is not your friend. He wants bad things for you. And now, as, as Christians, we really don't need to be afraid or anxious about the devil at all, to be clear. But he does mean us harm. And he wields sin and death like a weapon. We need, I need to be delivered from the depths, from death, from the penalty for my sins that keeps us, my sins that keep me separated from God. But the cries and brokenheartedness of people of all times and places, your cries and brokenheartedness, have met their answer not in a philosophy or an idea, but in a person, a man who is also God. Jesus, the Christ. And he did not turn away or ignore our appeals to him, but instead he became one of us and joined his voice to ours in lament. He was indignant about disease. He was angry with corrupt political and religious leaders. He wept at the tomb of a friend. He cried out for his nation and its capital. He begged his heavenly father Take this cup away from me. And finally, as he died for my sins and your sins, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And his lament, it wasn't something passive, it wasn't something weak. He took action through his lament. He healed the sick. He confounded the leaders. He raised the dead. He brought salvation to his people and to all nations. He took the cup of God's justice and anger against evil, against your sins and my sins. He took that on himself willingly. He broke the power of sin and death and put to shame our enemy, Satan. And he rose victorious. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father and we are seated with him. We have been delivered from the depths. We will not remain in the realm of the dead. So we do not grieve as those without hope. And this morning, I I don't know your story, and I don't know where in this cycle of faith and honesty and hope you are today. And I, I don't dare tell you how you should respond, other than to say once again, in Scripture we see a God who is much less interested in polite words and polished phrasing than you or I might be. He wants us to wrestle with him. The darkest parts in your heart are not unmentionable to God, nor are they unmanageable to him. What I know, though, is that however you are led to respond this morning, you respond to a God with dirt under his fingernails, a God who has himself lamented, and a God who delivers people from the depths. And so that allows us to respond, even in the hardest times, not with despair, not with deception, but with honesty and hope. It allows us to respond with lament. Father God, I thank you that we can bring every part of ourselves to you. When we come here on a Sunday, when we come to you in our private times, we we don't need to hide part of ourselves away. We don't need to put a face on. We don't need to to pretend our lives or ourselves or anything they're not. We can come to you in full honesty. And we can come to you in the faith that you care about those things. You care about our circumstances. And you want to hear about our circumstances. You are with us and you are for us. Thank you, Lord. Bless as we pray. Amen. Amen.